Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 9th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz, an attorney with the Floyd Skirin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our crime report. Federal prosecutors are pursuing Kaiser Permanente for filing allegedly fraudulent claims. The United States has intervened in six complaints pending in Northern California federal court, alleging that members of the Kaiser Permanente Consortium violated the False Claims Act by submitting inaccurate diagnoses codes for its Medicare Advantage plan enrollees in order to receive higher reimbursements. Under Medicare Advantage, also known as the Medicare Part C program, Medicare beneficiaries have the option of enrolling in managed care insurance plans called Medicare Advantage plans. These Advantage plans are paid a per-person amount to provide Medicare-covered benefits to beneficiaries who enroll in one of their plans. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that CMS oversees the Medicare program. It adjusts the payments to Medicare Advantage plans based on demographic information and the diagnoses of each plan beneficiary. The adjustments are commonly referred to as risk scores. In general, a beneficiary with more severe diagnoses will have a higher risk score and CMS will make a larger risk-adjusted payment to the plan for that beneficiary. In order to increase its Medicare reimbursements, Kaiser allegedly pressured its physicians to create addenda to medical records after the patient encounter, often months or over a year later, to add risk-adjusting diagnoses that patients did not actually have or were not actually considered or addressed during the encounters. The lawsuits were filed under the key Tom or whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Act. This permits private parties to sue on behalf of the government for false claims and to receive a share of any recovery. The False Claim Act also permits the government to intervene in such lawsuits as it has done in part in these cases. At least $63 billion in improper payments, much of it fraud, have been distributed by the federal government since the pandemic struck in March 2020. In California alone, state officials admit that as much as 27% of unemployment benefit payments have been fraudulent. And now a San Francisco-based venture firm known as CentLink claims they have the technology to combat this growing national fraud. CentLink has just finished a $85 million new capital fund and plans to use the capital raised to continue to help institutions with this recent increase in fraud instances spurred by the CARES Act. They also plan to expand their fraud toolkit to prevent other types of scams such as J-1 fraud and same-name fraud and investigate new ones. The company has seen a huge uptick in fraud rates affecting their clients, as high as 90% among new applications, 
associated with the CARES Act COVID relief. Fraudsters have been using the same name, social security number, or date of birth in several applications filing in high volumes in several states. The team is currently verifying around a million account openings per day and is working with more than 100 financial institutions. The company says that beyond simply using artificial intelligence to detect fraud, they have a risk operations team that catches in real-time cases of synthetic fraud. Synthetic fraud is a form of identity theft in which the defrauder combines a stolen social security number and fake information to create a false identity that would normally go unnoticed by their clients. Back in 2017, synthetic fraud was a relatively unknown phenomena, so Centlink was founded to focus on tackling this new scam. The U.S. Department of Justice just published its 124-page annual report of the Health Care Fraud and Abuse Control Program. During fiscal year 2020, the federal government won or negotiated more than $1.8 billion in health care fraud, judgments, and settlements. Because of these efforts, as well as those of preceding years, almost $3.1 billion was returned to the federal government or paid to private persons in 2020. The Department of Justice opened 1,148 new criminal health care fraud investigations in 2020, and federal prosecutors filed criminal charges in 407, 412 cases involving 679 defendants. A total of 440 defendants were convicted of health care fraud-related crimes during the year. Also in 2020, the DOJ opened 1,079 new civil health care fraud investigations and had 1,498 health care fraud matters pending at the end of the fiscal year. FBI investigative efforts resulted in over 407 operational disruptions of criminal fraud organizations and the dismantlement of the criminal hierarchy of more than 101 healthcare fraud enterprises. In 2020, investigations conducted by HHS's Office of Inspector General resulted in 578 criminal actions against individuals or entities and 781 civil actions which include false claims and unjust enrichment lawsuits. Many of the major prosecutions involved California companies. The first ever kickback action against an electronic health record, record developer for illegal kickbacks involved the company Practice Fusion Incorporated which is a health information technology developer based in San Francisco. In 2020, it agreed to pay $145 million to resolve criminal and civil liability based on its solicitation and receipt of kickbacks from a major opioid company. 45-year-old Frank Simplicio who lives in Porter Ranch, was arraigned on multiple felony counts of insurance fraud and perjury. 
A Department of Insurance investigation revealed Simplicio allegedly claimed to be too injured to work in order to collect over $50,000 in disability payments from one employer's insurance company while illegally working for other employers. While working as a greensman, he filed a continuous trauma claim with his employer's insurance company back in 2017. This 2017 claim, however, was filed two years after his alleged injuries. In a deposition, Mr. Simplicio stated he was a landscaper, but he had not worked since the date of his CT injury. However, surveillance footage revealed Simplicio was actively working as a landscaper. A search warrant was then later issued for his bank account records, which showed that during that time he claimed to be disabled, he collected checks from his clients totaling over $450,000. The qualified medical examiner who handled his claim reviewed the surveillance, then said that Simplicio lied, and if he had known about his abilities and concurrent employment, he would have never put him on temporary total disability. Simplicio's alleged actions resulted in him receiving more than $50,000 in undeserved disability payments. The total loss for the insurance company in this case was over $100,000, which includes unnecessary medical, investigative, and legal costs. And in regulatory news, the Los Angeles Times recently ran a feature story about how the California Medical Board protects negligent doctors. The Times cited at least 10 California physicians as examples. One of the 10 examples described in the article was Dr. Lokesh Tantuwada, Tantuweya, excuse me. He's a San Diego spinal surgeon whose license has been revoked three times by the board, but later they placed him on probation each time. His license remains valid as he sits in the Santa Ana jail awaiting trial on charges that he took more than $3 million in illegal kickbacks for surgeries in one of the biggest insurance scams in state history. Tantuweya is a spinal surgeon who performs so many surgeries at the now-shuttered Pacific Hospital in Long Beach that he was offered a private jet to commute to the facility, and he has now been the subject of multiple malpractice lawsuits and a federal prosecution for his fraudulent health care schemes. One of Tantuweya's patients sued him for malpractice after she went in for a routine back surgery that went so badly her leg had to be amputated. He was also charged with accepting millions of dollars in bribes to perform these surgeries. Yet, despite all of this on his record and being currently incarcerated in jail, the doctor remains licensed. When Tet Uwea was charged with accepting $3.2 million in bribes, He was ordered to hand over his passport, a million dollars, and the jet he owned. However, he has not yet gone to trial and has pleaded not guilty. In June of this year, a judge finally ruled he was a flight risk and confined him to Santa Ana jail awaiting trial, 
only after federal agents learned that he'd purchased his own private plane and discussed fitting it with an extended fuel tank just in case he needed to, quote, go far away, end quote. <clears throat> Marion Hollingsworth, the co-founder of the Patient Safety League, said that if he ever, if he were in any other profession, his license would have been yanked and added that any reasonable person would ask, why does he still have his license? This organization claims that as a battle between medical board reformers and the Physicians Professional Association rages regularly in Sacramento. It gained fresh momentum in the wake of the Los Angeles Times investigation, <clears throat> but California's powerful physician lobby, the California Medical Association, is working hard behind the scenes to water down any proposed reforms. And the Patient Safety League claims that so far, the lobbyists seem to be winning. For years, reformers have been demanding significant medical license fee increases in order to beef up enforcement and to alter the balance of the oversight board from a physician majority to a public member majority in the hope of getting more patient-friendly decisions in these disciplinary cases. The executive director of the Center for Public Interest Law at the University of San Diego called the California Medical Association a pernicious cartel that consistently fights to starve the state medical board of the funds needed to investigate doctors. The political ties of the Medical Association have been well documented, particularly since Governor Newsom's well-publicized blunder sitting next to the Medical Association's chief executive and top lobbyists at an upscale Napa Valley restaurant last year. California State Senator Richard Roth said his new bill, SB 806, has strong reforms such as allowing the board to seek reimbursement from disciplined doctors for investigation and legal costs. Roth noted that his measure is crucial because with no fee increase in 15 years, the board is insolvent. But in a message to members last June, the doctors' lobbyists, the California Medical Association, claimed they got the ear of this senator sponsoring those reforms. Gavin Newsom, whose office is responsible for appointing most of the board members, refused to be interviewed about the Los Angeles Times findings or to offer any comment. The U.S. Department of Labor awarded a $10 million state apprenticeship expansion equity and innovation grant to the Department of Industrial Relations to support the development and expansion of new and existing registered apprenticeship programs. The DIR is one of five applicants that received the maximum $10 million in funds. The grant will help support the DIR and its Division of Apprenticeship Standards efforts to expand equity in apprenticeships to non-traditional industries by creating new ways to engage with employers, academic institutions, and workforce development organizations. 
This grant supports the goal of expanding the development, modernization, and diversification of registered apprenticeship programs. The funds awarded will be used to foster regional collaborations in specific industries such as the Inland Empire Cybersecurity Apprenticeship Consortium Pilot Program. This one launched this last May. The initiative addresses the 56% vacancy rate for cybersecurity jobs in the Inland Empire to fill the 70,000 cybersecurity vacancies throughout the state. The WCIRB has published its September 1, 2021 update to the loss elimination ratios that were used in computation of classification relatives in recently approved September 1, 2021 regulatory filing. This annual update reflects the most current claim severity and benefit on leveling factors. Additionally, the WCIRB has updated other tables included in the Advisory California Retrospective Rating Plan, the California Large Risk Deductible Plan, and the California Small Deductible Plan. In a retrospective rating plan, the insurance company typically issues a policy with both a minimum and maximum premium for the policy, along with a rating formula. The actual or final premium is determined at the end of the policy period by the using the formula based on the rating factors and the actual losses. In essence, the plan is loss sensitive and the employer is participating in the cost of actual losses as well as the potential savings for lower than expected losses. A deductible plan sets the amount of each loss that the employer must pay for each claim. Typically, the insurer pays the full amount of the loss and then bills the employer for the deductible amount. Advisory plans are developed by the WCIRB for the convenience of its members. These plans were submitted to the Insurance Commissioner for informational purposes, but they do not bear the official approval of the California Department of Insurance and are not a regulation. An insurer must make an independent assessment regarding its use of these plans based on its particular facts and circumstances. A California employer and 32 others received the National Safety Council Safety Award. The National Safety Council is America's leading nonprofit safety advocate and has been so for over 100 years. It works to eliminate the leading causes of preventable death and injury focusing its efforts on the workplace. And it hopes to create a culture of safety to not only keep people safer at work, but also beyond the workplace so they can live their fullest lives. The National Safety Council just announced the 33 organizations who will receive industry leader awards in 2021 for excellent safety performance within their industries. The Industry Leader Awards are one component of the NSC Occupational Awards Program, which recognizes outstanding safety achievements of NSC members and represents the top 5% of member companies 
that qualified for the NSC 2021 Occupational Excellence Achievement Award. The winners are selected based on the North American Industry Classification System Code, lowest total incidence rate, and employee work hours. One of the 33 award recipients this year is a California employer, California Resources Corporation. CRC is a California oil and natural gas exploration and production company, and it's committed to environmentally sustainable and responsible development. CRC explores for, produces, gathers, processes, and markets crude oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. It has a large portfolio of lower-risk conventional opportunities in each of California's four major oil and gas basins, San Joaquin, Los Angeles, Ventura, and Sacramento. The LA Basins Operations, Long Beach, California. The Director of Membership at the National Safety Council said that it is truly an honor to recognize these 33 organizations for their commitment to advance, advancing safety. She added that in an unprecedented year, these winners went above and beyond the call to exemplify what it means to protect employees from the death and injury at work. A sincere thank you and congratulations to each of these organizations and CRC in our state on prioritizing safety and saving lives. And in medical news, our news contributor, John Castro, has something to report this week. John, what do you have for us today? Thank you, Renee. Hundreds of staffers at two major hospitals in San Francisco have tested positive for coronavirus in July with most of them being breakthrough cases of the highly infectious Delta variant. By the CDC's definition, a breakthrough infection is a COVID case that occurs in someone who is fully vaccinated. Some say the word breakthrough is a euphemism for a vaccine failure. The University of California San Francisco Medical Center told media outlets that 183 of its 35,000 staffers tested positive. Of those infected, 84% were fully vaccinated and only two vaccinated staff members required hospitalization for their symptoms. At Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, at least 50 members out of its 7,500 hospital staff were infected, with 75 to 80% of them being vaccinated. But none of those staffers required hospitalization. At least 99% of the cases at UCSF were traced back to community spread, but that hospital officials are still investigating and conducting contact tracing. He added that most of the cases presented mild to moderate symptoms and some were completely asymptomatic. The highly infectious Delta variant has been deemed more transmissible than the viruses that cause the common cold, Ebola, and smallpox, and is equally as contagious as chickenpox. The Delta variant has also been known to spread among vaccinated people in breakthrough cases, prompting the recommendation, if not requirement, that even fully vaccinated people wear masks indoors in areas with high transmission rates. Back to you, Renee. 
The Physicians Foundation released its 2021 survey of Americans' Physicians COVID-19 Impact Edition a year later that examines how COVID-19 has affected the nation's physicians. Over the past year, COVID-19 has greatly impacted physician well-being and mental health, with over 6 in 10 physicians, that's 61%, reporting they experience feelings of burnout. This is a significant increase from the 40% of reported physicians in 2018. Yet only 14% of the physicians reported they sought medical attention for their mental health symptoms. Additionally, 8% of physicians indicated they have increased their use of medications, alcohol, or illicit drugs weekly as a result of COVID-19's effects on their practice or employment situation. A total of 46% of physicians said they have isolated or withdrawn from other people in the last year. More than one in three said they felt hopeless or without a purpose, and 57% reported experiencing inappropriate episodes of anger, tearfulness, or anxiety. A total of 23% of physicians across a range of demographics said they want to retire in the next year, but fortunately this was a drop from the 38% who reported wanting to retire in 2020. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device, and searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thank you for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.